The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Thank you for joining me as we continue our series on finding and experiencing perfect peace. Peace is a commodity that everyone desires, from the man at the top of the corporate ladder to the person laboring with his hands in the soil. Every person, everywhere, wants peace of mind, peace of heart. The reality is peace is not attainable by pursuit. It cannot be purchased. It cannot be fabricated in the mind like a child's fairy tale. All the Christian graces must be granted and bestowed, and that includes peace. When someone is kind to us, it is a volitional act. They offer to give us a blessing of their free will. They decide, for example, to take their kind offering and bestow it upon us. And we receive it willingly. So too with peace. It must be offered and it must be received. Every earthly commodity has its source. Uh, For example, the element of gold. It doesn't offer itself. It is hidden in the earth. And it must be mined. It must be dug out. It must be refined and presented as a precious commodity, a gift. Food is also a commodity. It doesn't give of itself. Food must be prepared and presented. Uh, Like gold, uh, or I should say unlike gold, it originates in the earth. But most animals feed on plant life. And uh, they must be slaughtered and Prepared, they must undergo a transformation. Uh, Typically, heat is applied, spices are added, and then it's offered for our consumption. And uh, the same might be for plant life. It grows in the earth, but it must be harvested and uh, perhaps prepared and served. It has to be given. The things that sustain us, the the things that... uh, bring joy to our lives, must be offered or raised or prepared 
and then presented for our enjoyment and our consumption. Peace cannot be planted or harvested. It can't be cultivated like livestock. Peace must be offered or presented and it must be received. It must be consumed by the regenerated human spirit. But the question regarding peace is who or what is the source of it? Where does it reside? What are its origins? Who commands this resource? People view the universe, for example, as an abstract concept. The resources needed for survival are obtained through uh, some form of commerce. People even try to uh, interact with the universe as though it's a living abstract, such that thoughts and actions can be thrust into the universe and a corresponding response is expected and claimed to be received. The assumption is made that there are universal laws that are responsible for the spiritual commodities such as justice, love, peace, abundance, and the like. We also assume these quote-unquote laws can be manipulated so as to provide us with the things that we desire, whether wealth, uh, good fortune, and, of course, peace. We assail with intention to change the thought processes and the quality of our thoughts and, again, thrust them into the abyss of the universe, so to speak, hoping and expecting that in due time a response is obtained, an expectation received. And I subscribe to you that the universe is the moral framework of a creator. As such, the cosmos was never designed or evolved to be the sphere of peace. We cannot pinpoint the place where peace exists. And, and we will find in our cultures there are esoteric practices that are touted as the frameworks for obtaining peace. At times, we find that the objective is to turn inward on the assumption that the mind, having been quieted by refocusing, for example, on the breath, that this practice will give peace. I ask you, does this approach of focusing the mind on one's breathing provide the inner quiet and assurance that all will be well, regardless of the type of events that are unfolding in our lives? If a human being is able to identify the inner origins and processes by which peace is found and enjoy, my friends, I tell you this would be the world's worst kept secret. Take, for example, Adonijam, 
the son of Jeroboam, the grandson of the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. We find in this young king's history, he later changed his name to Adonijah. We are not given the uh, information about the events that facilitated this change, but it bears noting. This king, Adonijah, belonged in David's lineage because God made a covenant with David that he, that is David, would never lack for a man to sit on his throne. And it's interesting that God makes a promise to perform an act that superseded and overrides free will because he says as long as these kings in David's line uh, remained obedient to the laws and the commands of Jehovah, there will never be a man or there will never be a, a time when a man from David's line doesn't sit on the throne. And so Adonijah had the records of his predecessors, even up to David. He had the record of his great-grandfather David. And this record would have been enough of a contrast telling this king how success as a king can be obtained. One event was always a certainty in almost every king's reign. And that is war. War was inevitable. Events will surely occur, such as a war, and this event will be the ultimate peace robber. And so the kings, throughout their reign, always had the specter of war hanging over them. And what they did with this event told more about their spiritual lives than any other event. At times, even the lack of war and what they did during times of peace told us something about their character. Yet, even Moses, in his sacred writings, stated that the kings were promised by Jehovah to be their protector. We find this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, verse 34. Uh, for example, uh, when they were in Egypt and how Jehovah delivered them. And he delivered them by a shepherd's staff in the hand of a man who was wholly given over to the love of God. We find, for example, again, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, that Joshua was uh, assured success in the conquest of the uh, Canaanitish region as long as the book of the law did not depart from his lips, but he found time to meditate in it day and night and observed to do it. He would be given peace. And Joshua's entire life was a life of warfare, but it was a life of success. 
But what we find in these promises is that peace appears to originate beyond the bounds of the physical universe. And this is important, my friends, because you may be listening to the sound of my voice and you may be living in a troublous place, in troublous times, and wondering, is there a place of peace? And I subscribe to you, there is. But the origins of it are beyond our physical universe. Given the choices Solomon, Rehoboam, and now Adonijah, given the choices that they had, it is clear we cannot have peace with God and the peace of God if we have chosen a path, a lifestyle, that negates the very moral fiber of this universe. Many in our current times are engaged in an effort to find or engender peace through a variety of activities ranging from changing one's diet to improving one's health, meditative and other esoteric practices. But these will only serve to incidentally calm the physiological processes of the mind and body, but they cannot enter into the human psyche, into the heart of the person. For in us, every one of us, there is a built-in fund, a secret place, a sacred place where God and God alone can and must fill. But in this place, he fills it only with himself, the God of peace. People do not realize that peace is a commodity that the human entity enjoys but cannot create or obtain by commerce or by effort. The universe is a created entity. It necessitated logic, reason, wisdom, intellect, and with the combination of these attributes, it has the stamp of the divine on it. Man is also a created entity. He has been created in the similitude of God, and as such, his design requires and has stamped upon it a nobler, higher purpose than what we as human beings have devolved to. I subscribe to you that peace escapes us not because it is not to be found in our universe, but it is only found in the mind and heart and being of our Creator. <clears throat> he designed us. He designed us to know and experience and enjoy peace. The peace that comes when he is in the very center of the universe of our lives. The ultimate question is, how do we obtain it? How do we obtain it? 
if the promise that God gives is a peace that passes understanding, then it has to be given and it must be experienced as a commodity that is external to our universe, but granted to our hearts and minds upon request. Peace comes as the presence of God fills the void or fills the heaven of the heart, the universe of our minds. God does not impart a commodity apart from imparting himself. The graces, the fruitage of the Spirit, are evidences of the presence of the Spirit of God. And peace is one of those evidences. We learn about that in Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. Let's turn the corner a bit. We're going to look at this king and his response to crisis. But I want to say this about our response to crisis. <laughs> our response to crisis becomes a character issue. As was often the case during the reign of a lot of these kings, the kings of Israel, kings of, of the southern kingdom, Judah, God would allow war to enter into their existence. And quite often, we see more about the character of these kings by how they dealt with war. What did they do when war was on the doorstep? What was their response to the crisis? And whatever that response, it told us so much about their walk with God. Some kings handled the crises very well. And of course, we see that, for example, in the life of David and King Asa, King Josiah, just to name a few. They responded to crisis by exercising faith that God and God alone would undertake for them. And this confidence, this faith, became the evidence that aligns us with the response of God to their crisis, the assurance of victory, and hence peace, joy, was the byproduct of their confidence in God. In 1 Kings chapter 15, the first six verses, Adonijah did not have any accomplishment Nothing was mentioned of his successes. However, when we look at the narrative as it's presented in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, the first 21 verses, we see that the Spirit of God does not refer to him as Adonijah, but now his name is called Adonijah, which means God is my Father. And here is the vital point to this change. It is indicative that there was a change of heart. There was a change of mind. There was a change of preference. There was a new beginning. 
What is a vital important fact to note is that as we look at how he handled the conflict with the northern kingdom, it becomes a lesson to all of us about who and what God is like. My friends, I want to say this to you. All Bible study gives us a lot of information about the new life, faith in Christ, a regenerated spirit. But one of the most important things we learn in the scriptures is about God himself, his preferences, what what causes him uh, to rejoice, for lack of a better word, or what displeases him. What causes him to respond on behalf of his people, or what causes the heavens to be shut up like brass to our requests to him. And we are looking at what God was prepared to do for this man who had a change of heart. Here is a man, Adonijah, that spoke confidently about his newfound faith. He spoke confidently and testified that his trust and the trust of the, uh, the tribe of Judah was in Jehovah. And he went on to say that this was of great importance, that is, that God honors this faith in himself. God is silent in the narrative, but the end result justifies the expression of this confidence. In other words, when the people of God speak confidently of their trust and faith in the living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is not in vain if We are walking with God. And the end result is, for them, they were victorious over Jeroboam and the northern kingdom. Now, it was not always so. Because we are told in 1 Kings uh, chapter 15, verse 3, that he, Adonai Jam, (laughs) who later is called Adonai Jah, He walked in all the sins of his father, Rehoboam. And he practiced these things. And we are told specifically, and note this, his heart was not perfect with Jehovah his God. Why is this critical? Well, if his heart was not perfect with God, this is one of the key factors why there is no peace. Because that heart that is not looking to the Lord Jesus Christ specifically and singly can never uh, expect to experience the peace of God, which we are told passes our understanding. It supersedes anything that we can know. This is one of the principal reasons why many people do not experience perfect peace. For this one reason, they ignore the obvious. And the obvious is this. Am I looking to God with singleness of heart? We're going to learn a little bit about this in our next podcast as we look at the life of the son of Adonijah, and that is King Asa. 
My friends, this is no magic formula. This is the key question that every child of God, every uh, devotee of our Lord Jesus Christ must answer for themselves. And it is, am I looking to God solely? And I ask you, what would happen if I just, even for a day, set my heart to know and walk with God? What happens if I threw the doors wide open and ran with my whole heart after him? What would be the result? Here is the result. In Adonijah's case, the change came after the third year that he was in office. But we are not told what the circumstances were that precipitated this change. All we are told in 2 Chronicles chapter 13 is that there was war between Adonijah and Jeroboam. And what we are observing is a new history. We are looking at the new history of a man who made a change in his heart and set his heart and mind to walk with God. He made God his father. This is of utmost importance. It was so critical in his life that the, his name was changed. We're, we're not told what the circumstances were, but so significant was that conversion of heart and mind that it necessitated a, a name change so that everyone that called him now knew that God was his father. And he was determined to live the life that exemplified walking with God. He made God his father. The Bible is replete with individuals whose names were unique and held great meaning. And so a man for whom God is his father is a man, I subscribe to you, that is looking to God with singleness of heart. God is my father. Now, what is interesting is that in verse 4, he was on the Mount Zemaraim, which means double fleece. And if you recall, the man who used a fleece to test God was Gideon. Not because he was unbelieving, but because Gideon was called upon to do something that was extraordinary. And he wanted to ensure himself that God was with him, that Jehovah called him to do this. And so now we have Adonijah, who is going into war, outnumbered, as it were. And he went on this mountain, and he testified as to his faith's focal point. And he faced his enemies in the strength of that faith. It is important to note Specifically what he said, because his reliance was upon what Jehovah, the God of his fathers, said concerning the kings of Judah. How he, the God of Israel, gave the kingdom to David and his descendants. This was by virtue of promise. In fact, Adonijah said that God made this by a covenant of salt. You see, salt was used as a means of payment. 
The, for example, the Romans used it to pay their soldiers. Hence the term about a person, if you've heard the term, a person should, isn't worth their salt. <laughs> they're not worth what they're paid. And from this practice came the uh, etymological uh, word salary. That's where salary comes from, wages of salt. And so God committed himself to make this covenant and to make the payment in the form of salt, a commodity that was vital in that culture. And additionally, when two people or, or friends made an agreement or a covenant, they would consume salt to ratify the covenant. Adonijah had his father's legacy. His mother was an Ammonitess. Okay, an Ammonitess. So his mother, his, 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 his mother, <laughs> well, let's put it this way. His father followed in the footsteps of Solomon and married many foreign wives and had many foreign concubines. And his heart was turned away from Jehovah. He also had as his legacy a father that was an idolater, like his grandfather Solomon. But one thing he had for sure was that his great-grandfather, David, was a man after God's own heart. And the kings were required to read the histories, not only the law, but at that time, the writings of David and so forth. So he would have known concerning David and his walk with God. And so, my friends, there are times that we as Christians encounter other influences preventing us from having peace. Circumstances in our lives, circumstances at work, circumstances in our neighborhood that rob us of peace. And so this young king inherited a legacy of conduct from his father and grandfather that no doubt influenced him initially. But my friends, we must be aware and carefully and I want to give this caution to you. We must be aware and carefully evaluate the life and the lifestyle of the people around us that we've, we have aligned ourselves with and the people that we hold in affection and high regard. Why? If they do not demonstrate by lip, life, and conduct that they have been with God and that there's a definitive change and, and evidence in their life and character. And if their experience does not convince us that they are walking with the God of peace, then their lifestyle betrays them outright. And we ought to outright reject that standard and example Additionally, whatever they purport to affirm that their way is right, we need only judge by the fruit of their lives. Many are driven by avarice and pride and other dispositions of the flesh. And this was the case of Adonijah. You see, when he was Adonijah, he failed to compare his father's life to his great-grandfather David. David's writings and the chronicles of his kingship 
would have been sufficient information to spur this young king to make God his pursuit and result in his changed name. But he followed in the ways of his father, who experienced wars throughout his kingship, and he followed in the ways of his grandfather. Albeit, Solomon was a wise man, but that wisdom did not benefit him with respect to his walk with God. Why? Because he devolved to idolatry and apostasy, and his kingdom was divided as a result. Here is the takeaway. The key takeaway from this evidence should have been this. Idolatry brings no blessing. My friends, hear me. To make a thing, a practice, to make some commodity, a substitute for pursuing after the originator of life, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to forsake him and presuppose that one will find peace in some other avenue, in some other place in this universe under the sun is abject insanity. We insult the living God. And add to that the notion that I think that a man purports to find peace in a universe that God created, a universe that he created to fill with his glory, a universe in which he wants to fill, that that man presupposes he can reject the God of heaven and earth and find peace displays the abject ignorance of that person. We must pursue a lifestyle, conduct, words, sentiments that clearly and demonstrably proves several things. Firstly, that my heart is turned to God. My heart is turned to God. Second, my expectation is that he and he alone is the provider of all that my soul and spirit has need of. God alone. Thirdly, as with any precious commodity, peace must come from God. James wrote in the first chapter of his five-chapter letter, to the Christians scattered throughout Asia. He said, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Every good gift and every perfect gift originates beyond our universe. It comes from God. And those who walk with God this way may have, I say, may have and know the peace of God if they are willing to turn to him with the whole heart Having obtained evidence that God is the originator of peace, then pursue him. We learn also by Adonijah himself that Rehoboam, his father, he said, he, he, he described his father as being young and faint-hearted, meaning he was unseasoned in the ways of God. And his father was influenced by his peers. And in Adonijah's life, 
something happened after about the third year that changed his heart, mind, and sentiments. The first was the lifestyle <laughs> and the fruit that that lifestyle produced. His father, Rehoboam, was faint-hearted. In essence, he was not strong in the Lord. His confidence was not in Jehovah. And he was unseasoned. He was an unseasoned man of God. And some of us are like that. We, we claim we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't walk it out. We don't live it out. We are unseasoned in the ways of God. Additionally, he was persuaded by the counsel of those who did not find God to be worthy of worship. Jehovah was not exalted in their lives, and his father took counsel from these men. And so following the counsel of these men, who themselves were not walking with God, is it any wonder that Rehoboam went astray? And is it any wonder that we go astray, that we lack peace, that we lack the vibrant experience of the presence of God in our lives? And so the young men and this king, Rehoboam, the father of Adonijah, had a higher regard for his peers than he did for Jehovah. And his friends were the very tool that God used to cause his in, uh, kingdom to be minimized. Nonetheless, in Adonijah's life, there had to be an event that turned his heart towards God and turned it in such a way that he was clearly able to evaluate the conduct, life, and moral fiber of his own father and conclude this one thing, that the way his father was living is not the way to have peace with God. And that's the conclusion that you and I must draw. If what I'm seeing by the, the people that I, I frequent does their lifestyle lead me to having peace with God? This is the way to see God work in a demonstrable way. And that is Adonijah's thinking. That is to turn my heart fully to God, to turn it so fully that I am prepared to make God my father. And whatever that event was, at the writing of this crisis, he gives his position on the mount as he faced an army that outnumbered him. And he could speak confidently of the covenant of God and the assurance that, hear this, because they were adhering to this covenant, God would work on their behalf. That is the level of confidence that he now possessed. We will see God work because we are in covenant, loving relationship with him. This is the first and most important lesson in a man or woman's life, that this man, this woman, this person has a changed heart and now can know the peace of God at work in their lives. And the lesson is simply this, whatever it takes, however difficult, however long, set your heart and mind to know and walk with the living God in a manner that is clearly documented and demonstrated by your life, lip, and living. The Bible is replete, as I mentioned, with examples of men who were faithful in their pursuit of the holy. And no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the calling, I exhort you to set your heart above all things 
to know and walk with God. This is the whole purpose of Besides Still Waters. To encourage people to do just this. And I assure you, you will not lack for peace as trials will come. Just as the wars came to the kings, you and I will have trials. And James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And just as wars came for the kings, you're going to have trials. But one distinguishing factor is that we have God in the midst of our trial. And as he proved himself well able to fight the battles of the kings, he will prove himself once more to be with us and grace us and enable us to be able to rejoice in the midst of trial. He will fight our battles for us. Herein lies the second greatest evidence to yourself that you are walking with God. And we find it in 2 Chronicles, the 13th chapter, 13 to the 17th verse. When he saw that an ambush was about to commence, his first, I repeat, his first reaction was that he and that of his people cried out to God. That's right. They cried out to God. The first reaction tells more about your character and mine and the fiber of our faith in God, and that tells everyone where we truly stand. So please bear in mind that it was clear to King Adonijah that they were now in a covenant-keeping relationship with God. The sacrifices, the holy rituals, the, the, all of the accoutrements were being practiced and adhered to. And add to that, it was clear to him that the conduct and unholy practices of King Jeroboam clearly indicated they had completely apostatized in their walk with Jehovah and therefore could not prosper. On the basis of a clear understanding of God's priorities, Adonijah made the pursuit of God even in the midst of crisis. And his first avenue of response they cried out to Jehovah and they blew the trumpet. And we are told in the latter, ver latter part of verse 17 that God smote Jeroboam. Our knee-jerk reaction in the midst of crisis, if it is to call a friend and lament our circumstances, this is an affront to a holy God who has covenanted himself, covenanted himself to fight for us, who gave the promise in the 50th Psalm, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You shall glorify me. This is from a God who, although unseen, has promised, and he cannot lie, he has promised to come to our aid and to give grace and deliverance and peace because we look to him. To resort to anything and relegate, to God, as a relegate God as a last resort bespeaks the enormity of our unbelief, my friends. If my first resort and my last resort is not the living God himself and allow him to be the agent that fights for me, I insult the grace and character of a holy God. And this young king and his reaction calls us to pay attention. He repented of his former decisions and behavior. And note, my friend, that God did not hold his past against him. John wrote in his uh, epistle that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Having been cleansed, we come to God in the full assurance of faith and call upon him in the full assurance of faith 
that we have been forgiven and we stand boldly upon his promise and he commits himself to stand by us in the midst of our trial. He, as did this king, so we must do. I hope you get the picture that whatever the past failures might have been for you or me or whomever, whatever misgivings or questions we may have, we can come to God in the full assurance of faith that having confessed, we are forgiven, but we take up the mantle of walking with God. Peter says that unto us are given great and precious promises, that by these promises, this is in 2 Peter chapter 1, we might be partakers of his divine nature. That's the assurance God gives. And what happens when we have a change of heart and set ourselves to walk with God in our circumstances we are as Adonijah was. His experience, his faith became experience. Firstly, the circumstances that presented itself as a challenge was overcome. He overcame because the living God undertook for him. God gave this king victory with respect to experiencing peace. Faith gave way to sight. Secondly, we are told in 2 Chronicles 13 and 16 that the children of Israel were humbled, that is Jeroboam and his army, was humbled at that time, that is during the war. And Judah was strengthened because, and this is key, they relied on Jehovah, the God of their fathers. And this, my friend, is an absolutely important detail. The challenged minimized because their hearts were trusting and they were strengthened. They were strengthened. If I transition my trust from myself and my resources over to the Lord, I am saying by that action, I am weak. I have no capacity to give myself peace, nor do I have capacity to give myself victory over the very thing that disturbs me. I'm giving it. I'm handing it over to the living God and beseeching his intervention, his help, his presence. And in that action, strength, grace is imparted. Strength to face the circumstance and the assurance of God's presence. This is what Peter, in his second letter, says. Great and precious promises that we might be, underline it, partakers, fellowshippers of his divine nature. And lastly, Adonijah continued to be victorious over the challenge. If you read the rest of the chapter, <laughs> Jeroboam and his army were continually subdued. Adonijah took territory from Jeroboam, and we are told, that, uh, that uh, uh, Adonijah strengthened himself. He became stronger. And I love the details of the scripture. Not only was his army victorious, but they gained more territory. And he himself, as a man of faith, he was strengthened. And ultimately, this is our objective. As Paul conveyed to the churches, quote, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, unquote. Adonijah strengthened himself 
And this is the objective that we seek to follow, that we might be strengthened in our faith in God and turn to God with singleness of heart and mind, intending and purposing to trust him where we cannot trace him. My friends, it necessitates a full commitment to lean on the everlasting arms of an ever-present, indwelling, all-sufficient God. And so in closing, the initial years of Adonijah's reign evidenced the ill effects of his father's idolatry and the influence that it had on this young king. But (laughs) there is grace and mercy with God in that He allowed some circumstance. We don't know what it was. We're not told what it was. But God allowed a circumstance that became the catalyst to move this man's heart towards God. And that was all that was needed to begin a series of events in his heart, his life, his kingship. And when the trial came, and it always comes, my friends, it always comes. This man, this king, Adonijah, was well-equipped based on the covenant of Jehovah and the presence of this covenant-keeping God himself. And that, my dear friends, is the secret to experiencing perfect peace. Leaning, trusting, depending on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, bless these few thoughts to our hearts. Strengthen us in this faith to pursue after you with all our might. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing.